and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. Mitch, what do you got for me today? What have I got for you? Well, I've got some awesome stuff, of course, but there's always me, and I'm from a website called... So thank, thanks for having me on. I know it's so much fun being on with you every week. Uh, missed it while you were moving. Uh, it's raining like crazy here in St. Louis, so all of those of you out in the West who are starving for water. <laughs> I am in the Pacific Northwest right now where we are enjoying 100-degree days, and it is freaking miserable outside every afternoon. I was promised a bill of sale, and I got out here, and it's not nearly <laughs> as nice as I thought it would be. Did you know, by the way, speaking of really wild, random topics, did you know that it's illegal to trap rainwater in Colorado? Yeah, yeah, that's um, a huge fine. Uh, people illegally hide water barrels behind their house and capture rainwater because... Well, this is a I long no story, but man, they, <laughs> yeah, they can arrest you for that. It's uh, it's a bad deal. You don't want to do that. Stealing water. Hey, my wife discovered it last night because here in Missouri, obviously, we get a lot of rain, and we have this thing called the Mississippi River that flows by. Hmm. Uh, and anyway, there were rain barrels that they were selling outside of the Whole Foods market. I should have a plug, right? <laughs> um. Anyway, I, so we ended up starting to talk about rain barrels, and lo and behold, long story short, uh, we discovered that it's illegal in many states to have rain barrels. So, so there. Yeah, water rights suck, man. They're very, uh, <laughs> very important things. On that note, enough small talk, and time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. First up, actually, this comes from Mitch. He sent me this lens. It is the... Lua, I'm going to pronounce it as Lua, 15mm f4, wide-angle, one-to-one macro lens. Now, the unique thing about this is that it's a macro lens that's really, really wide. Uh, you do have some macro lenses that are available in the 24 range, the 60 range. Uh, generally, those get used with crop sensor cameras, so you kind of get the 100mm range, the sweet spot for macro. But this is 15 millimeters. Mitch, you sent this link to me. Have you looked into this at all? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I knew you were going to do that to me. I just knew you were going to do that to me. Uh no, I don't uh Karen was the one that wrote this up. Uh we do have multiple writers now on Planet 5D, which is an absolute blessing for me because that means I get to do other things as opposed to just totally totally focusing on Planet 5D every minute of every day. Uh you know, and I I laugh because ha huh, you know, some people think, and they've written me and say, well, it must be nice to, you know, work an hour or two a day and, and then go spend the rest of the day sipping Mai Tais by wow. the pool. They do not like, know uh, behind the scenes of uh, a website. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's me. That's I, I spend most of my day sitting by the poolside sipping Mai Tais. Not. Well, anyway, back to this lens this here. Let me, uh, let me bring this up so you guys can see some images here. Uh, I kind of wanted to just touch on this because Mitch is always asking me about different lenses for filmmaking, and it's kind of something I always forget about because I just assume everybody knows. And so I want to dive into this a little bit. Um, macros, if you're not familiar with uh, shooting with a macro lens for film work, it's actually really nice if you need to do something dramatic. Like if you ever see that shot where it's just someone's mouth filling the entire frame or an eyeball looking around or whatever, 
a lot of those really artistic shots, that is where they're going with that, is they're using a macro lens. Now, this guy right here is wide angle and macro, so you can see from these images that they've got here, and they're loading fairly fast, you're getting a very wide perspective, and you're getting very close focal range. That means you could basically put this lens right on top of someone's face and still get their entire face. Now, that's cool, and it's a very unique look, but it's not for everything. I feel like a wide-angle macro like this kind of falls into the range of what you get out of a tilt shift. There's, there's some times when you want to use it, but right. it's probably not going to be your number one tool. Still, this lens is priced at... 479 so for a kind of unique tool like this it's pretty affordable what do you think mitch i i was very impressed when i was looking at the images i i kind of really like that look and they do have quite a few samples on their website a couple of them indicate that you can do some uh, tilt shift work with it um and i didn't quite understand that entire reference because I didn't dive into how that works because they specifically mentioned an APS-C sensor on that section. So I, I really didn't understand that. And somebody probably with more intelligence than me needs to explain that one to me. So this is a full frame lens, but if you look at the base right here, you'll notice that there's a little screw type device at the bottom. So oh, since it's a full frame lens, what they're basically trying to do with that and then when they say crop sensor is they're moving the lens focal point around but they only have the room to work with that would be the difference between a full frame and an APS-C style sensor so by using that little screw you get a small amount of tilt shift out of the lens but not the full gamut that you would get out of that uh, XY coordinate that you get on a full big uh, like 24 tilt shift or a 90 tilt shift or something like that so it's kind of trickery a little bit, but it's an interesting and kind of cool feature that you don't see on a lot of lenses. So this lens all around kind of has a different take on the whole wide-angle macro thing in general. Well, and, and the, the two samples that they have with the shift and without shift, and thank you for explaining that because I know you're smart. Karen's really excited about this lens. Uh, she's uh, from Australia. I don't know if you know that, but she, and I don't know what that has to do with anything. Okay? <laughs> so I'm like, why did I go down that rabbit hole? Uh, anyway, it's, it's, she's really excited about both the lenses that she has seen from them uh, in this art. I think they're calling it the art range, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the correct term for it. I'm yeah. not very um, familiar with this brand. How many lenses do they have on the market right now? That's a darn good question, and I don't know the answer. I know that there are two recent announcements that we have published on Planet 5D, and Karen wrote both of those up, and she's very interested in grabbing both of those. Hmm. So, well, we'll have to keep so an there. eye out for this. Uh, it's not out yet, but you can pre-order. Uh, there is free shipping. It's four seventy nine for the U.S. retail price uh, for pre-order. But it says in their literature that the shipping will be charged after the special pre-order sale. So keep that in mind if you want to jump on this. Uh, it's supposed to be shipping in July. Kind of an interesting lens. I'm probably not going to swing out and buy one since I have plenty of wide-angle lenses. Um, right what? now... 
in my wide angle range, I am looking mostly at the new Olympus 7-14 F2.8 as a replacement to my Panasonic 7-14 F4. So that's probably where I'm going to put my money on my next lens purchase. I, otherwise, in my Canon range, you know, I've got the... Uh, I've got the really old 17 to 35. I've got the 16 to 35 Mark One and the 16 to 35 Mark II. I do not need more wide lenses. <laughs> I have enough in my collection for every DSLR. So yeah, that's out of control. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now speaking of out of control, Panas or Panasonic, not Panasonic, <laughs> Pentax. Uh, you know, I can't even pronounce the brand anymore. It's a brand I haven't heard of or heard from in years. Like the last time I saw a Pentax camera was when I was shooting on a K1000, like way, 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 way back in the day. And it looks like they've got a new camera out, the K3 Mark II. Uh, this is a 24.35 megapixel APS-C sensor. And uh, the kind of uh, gotcha here is actually that this has the same five-axis technology that's available in in the Olympus uh, 5, or, yeah, 5DM Mark II. Or no, yes, 5DM yeah. Mark II, yeah. thank you. There's too many Marks and too many Fives and not enough differential names between these that in the morning I get them mixed up. But anyway, the Pentax here is kind of a weird camera. I'm looking at it. Uh, there are Pentax lenses out there. Uh, I don't know much about the AF system. It's got a 24-point or 27-point AF system, but is it any good? Is the, uh, you know, ISO range? worth a darn on this thing 8.3 frames per second I'm, I'm looking through the specs here this looks pretty plain jane mitch what do you know about this thing i don't know a whole lot uh gosh that sounds like a repetition of everything so far on the show today um i've just been sort of keeping my eye on pentax i've never used a pentax but it surprises me that they continue to put out uh, cameras that do awesome stills and video. Although I did note that it does say 30 frames per second there, which kind of confuses me because wouldn't somebody want to do 24 frames a second? Yeah, that uh... isn't that uh, something that we typically uh, want to do 24. Anyway, uh, it's it's an interesting looking camera. Like you said, it does have the uh, stabilization on the sensor. Yeah, But one of the other things that was intriguing to me is that it has the, uh, I forgot what they call it. The pixel shift? The pixel shift, yeah. And I haven't seen that on very many cameras. And, and again, have that's you, a... Have you looked into that? Yeah, the pixel shift thing is, if I understand it correctly, which I think I do, is the same you thing that you see in the five... 5DM from Olympus, where the sensor, since it's a floating sensor on a five-axis uh, moving platform, is able to take a shot, move the sensor a little bit, take another shot, move the sensor a little bit, and continue to do that. And by doing that, it can generate a higher megapixel image than what the sensor by itself is capable of. Uh, in the case of Olympus, they do eight shots and combine them into an image themselves, but I'm not sure with Pentax. I'm reading through the literature right here, and I don't see anything really specific about this sort of feature, so uh, it's not obvious right out of the shoot what exactly is going on with that whole thing. Um, well, but I, if I may interrupt you, which I never try to do purposefully, but I do it sometimes, I don't think the point is necessarily to generate a higher megapixel image, is it? But 
it's to reduce noise and produce higher focus, sharper images than it normally would. And and there was a big debate on the last Planet 5D. It was probably that Olympus post, now that I think about it, because I forgot about that one. Uh, there was a debate in the comments section about whether or not that really works. And we have one guy that likes to be a troll over on Planet 5D. And he's <laughs> constantly uh, complaining about everything. He never says anything positive. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I do appreciate debates, right? You you learn more by actually debating things. So it's good that he's there trolling sometimes, but other times it's just like, okay, never mind. But I think it's 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 taught me a little bit more about the fact that that this these newer technologies that come out like this one, where there's so much image processing going on to create one image. Uh, it's just fascinating that we've got these these newer technology new capabilities. I mean, you could never obviously do that with film back in the old days. Uh, so, if they can take multiple images and average them together and get a sharper image with lo- less noise, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at the the information on that, and it doesn't really clarify whether you're going to get the same megapixel image out of it or not. So. We'll have to see on that also which what's missing out of the specs, which is kind of weird. And in the long description is the frame rates for uh, 1080p shooting. So you do have a 60i, a 50i, a 30p, a 25p, and a 24p with this camera. But in the specs list, it doesn't actually show you that, which is kind of weird. I wonder why you would leave that out. That seems like pertinent information to give yeah. the, the public. Yeah, especially as incredible filmmakers. One of the things, though, that Pentax, and I did start digging into Pentax to find out, like, whoa, wait a minute, what have they been up to? And it turns out, like, their big thing is in Asian countries, they have multiple colors. So they have green, Ah. white, yellow, all these different colors, (laughs) and they come out like people have decorated them, and they have a few really cute-looking pancake lenses. So I'm wondering if maybe... Pentax is kind of held on as sort of a fashion statement slash useful camera brand that's just not popular in the United States. I've never gotten my hands on a modern-day Pentax camera, so I can't really comment to how good or bad it is. It's just kind of an oddball for me. So if anybody's messed around with that, I would encourage you to send us an email and let us know uh, what you think of Pentax digital cameras in general. And are you shooting on one? If so, what lenses are you using and so on? Because that would be nice to hear from someone who actually uses it. Now, I agree, and I would love to hear that as well. Moving on down the line here, and this actually is an exciting thing. Uh, The Zoom F8, (laughs) this guy is a monster. Uh, For those of you familiar with the Zoom brand, Zoom is responsible for things like the H4n, a four-track recorder, or the H6, the six-track recorder, and so on and so forth. Now they have the F8. This looks to be a somewhat proper uh, actual field recorder for pro use. And I'm not disregarding the use of previous field recorders, but if you've ever been out on on a full-fledged film shoot, the audio guy, the uh, boom mic operator, usually has a pack in front of him with a sub-mixer, a large recorder that can handle four or eight tracks of recording, uh, a bunch of extra kit, including compressors, limiters, and all that stuff, all on board in a nice, like, kind of flat pack pattern. 
this looks more like that sort of design as opposed to what we've kind of gotten used to with the H4N, which is a handheld field recorder. Now, the thing about this is that it has knobs for everything, and that's pretty sexy. But I want to point out something else. A competitor here, and I'm going to open this up and see if I can show it. This is the Tascam DR680 that's been out for quite a while. And this started at about $1,000, $1,200, and now it's down to 432 Yeah. It's, list price there is 1400 Yeah, the list price, $1,400, and it's down to 432 and it never really caught on, but this has been out for a number of years, and it looks very similar to what you're getting out of the Zoom F8. Now, I'm not saying these are in the same category. If you'll notice, the screen on this guy is uh, still a monochrome screen, whereas you've got nice color screen on the Zoom F8, but it's half the price. So <laughs> if you are actually looking for that many tracks, just something to think about. But regardless of that, Zoom is doing a good job with this. It looks like it's a nice metal case. It's got XLR inputs on the sides. It's got uh, multiple types of recording formats. It's also got broadcast waveform. And it says records up to 10 tracks simultaneously. I'm interested to know how they get 10 tracks into the unit exactly. Mitch, you've got a post on this. What do you think about it, man? Are, are you excited about this? Is this going to be your next purchase? No, DJ. It's not going to be my next purchase because I'm not a sound guy. But that being said, and I just as a note, um, I you cut out there for a while, so I'm I'm hoping this is still working well. I'm watching the live stream, and it it seems okay. But uh, we may be having some issues for those of you who are watching the live stream, and I apologize about that. I I, I think Nadine gone into the them produce of and everything Zoom ever does, but I found it interesting that they were diving into this market. And from the samples that they had, I thought it was pretty low noise and it sounded pretty dead gun good. So I find it also very interesting that you're a super intelligent guy and you know about everything in the market and you know about that old Tascam, which is about half the price. So it would be interesting if if somebody has compared the that one to the new specs for the Zoom Eight now, F8. Sorry, the but, reason the Tascam did not succeed is because of battery life. So yeah, the the biggest complaint from uh, users, and I I've tested a the Tascam uh, DR680 out. That's why I was very familiar with it. Is that you only get like four hours on eight batteries. So, you know, you're you're expecting a big, beefy unit like this to last a long time. And I, in the old days, I used like a Fostex um, uh, MK8, I think. And the, the Fostex units, it would last all day on this like super beefed up battery. Uh, they didn't have an option for that. So you had to like put an extra battery pack in your kit and then like hook it up to the, the bottom of the Tascam DR680. And the Zoom unit here that I'm looking at, the F8, uh, I've got the B&H uh, listing up, and it looks like it uses eight AA batteries, and it's got a rather flamboyant screen, full color and everything. I wonder what the battery life is like on this guy, especially with that many inputs and outputs. Uh, this may suffer from the same issue that the Tascam DR680 did in that it can't last an entire day on eight batteries. 
I haven't found anything yet as I dig through the uh, announcement on uh, battery life, but it's just something to think about. You start running... Uh, you know, four mics, six mics off of phantom power on a single unit, uh, you're going to drain through eight batteries pretty darn fast. It would almost be better to have like a lithium ion pack, some kind of specialized battery for something like this, if you really want to get longevity. Because if you think about what you get out of the AA batteries, you're kind of wasting your compartment space because the AA batteries are round and then they have the air gap between them. But if you were able to fill that entire compartment with a giant solid battery, you could put more capacity in the same form factor. If I remember correctly, and I have to apologize because I didn't watch the video this morning, but, excuse me, I just had a swallow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the video shows that the, the battery module it's not a battery module but it's removable so i think that you can have like multiple clips if you want to consider it like like a gun clip where you can just take one set of batteries out and shove the next set in okay which would make it a little bit more functional than having to physically swap out eight batteries at one time so that would be very beneficial if that's exact if if i'm not confusing it with some other product that i was watching yesterday yeah, I watched so many promo videos last night that they're all kind of like <laughs> blending together in my head. Um, anyway, it's yeah. an interesting product. It's $1,000 on pre-order right now on B&H. You can find links to that in the show notes. Uh, Mitch has a good write-up over at Planet 5D. You also might want to check that out. I Zoom, even though I'm not excited about some of their newer products, they are innovating on a regular basis. Like every year or so, they're releasing some kind of new wacky deal, and they're trying all kinds of stuff. I mean, we had that weird uh, camcorder slash Zoom H4n combo that showed up on the market a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, and we have you know the new H6 and all these other things, and now the F8. So it does seem like they're sort of uh, innovating where in the past you haven't seen a lot of innovation in that market in particular. So even if it's not for me or maybe even for you out there, this is something cool and the features will probably trickle down to other units in the future. So keep an eye out for what Zoom has next. Now, speaking of audio stuff here, I've got another one here and this is the Instamic. Uh, The Instamic is basically a mic-sized field recorder that works with your phone and clips to your chest. This has got two strikes against it, and I actually wrote that down in the, in the show notes. First of all, uh, they're, in the demo video, they're showing it as like this beautiful mic that you can walk around with, but it's rather large. This thing is, is fairly bulky compared to a regular lav mic. Now, the other thing is it's on Indiegogo, and if you guys aren't familiar with crowdsourcing, there are two platforms mainly that are competing against each other. You have Kickstarter and you have Indiegogo. Kickstarter says if you don't get to your limit, you don't get funded. Indiegogo says it doesn't really matter if you get to your limit, you'll get funded no matter what. Now, this has surpassed its uh, threshold and it seems to be growing exponentially, but I'm not a big fan of Indiegogo or Kickstarters in general, so I try not to promote them too much. But, Mitch, what do you think about this lav mic? Are you going to try and use your cell phone with something like this? The reason this was very interesting to me, and I'm going to tell you a little story. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Grant Peel. He's a guy that works with Still Motion. You know Still Motion, the guys 
Patrick Moreau. And I'm just going to say no, because every time you bring up a name, I draw a blank. So, <clears throat> huh? Uh, well, all right. So here it is. I actually have it handy for those of you watching. I am holding up a movie DVD. I actually have a DVD in my hands called I'm Fine, Thanks. Grant is the guy that produced this movie, and it's a wonderful movie. If you ever get the chance to watch it, it is on pay-per-view, uh, or you can order the DVD. It's about people who uh, break out of the mold and quit their day job and go do what they really have a passion for, even though they may not make a whole lot of money at it. It's a fascinating little movie, and in fact, part of the story is the fact that they shot a movie – as as they went traveling, okay, to interview a whole bunch of people, and Grant quit his job in order to make the movie as a passion project. He's a fascinating guy. I've talked to him several times. So the, anyway, sidebar there. Was talking to him recently, and he said, "You know, Mitch, I'm wanting to shoot more home movies. I've got two boys. They're really crazy. We love to go out, and we and and but I want my kids mic'd, right? I want a, like a lav mic on them." constantly because i want to be able to turn the camera on and off and still have a way of getting a mic and lo and behold a couple of months later after talking to him about that this pops up and he's like that's perfect that's exactly what i was looking for so in situations like he's talking about with home movies because he wants to make cinematic home movies right if you can slap something like this on your kid and have them walk away, run away, do whatever kids do, you know, they do don't, they don't always do what you want them to do, but, and be able to capture them, the audio from their person at any point in time, he, he wanted that. And I think that's, that's kind of the purpose for something like this. Uh, it could be especially good for like drone shots and stuff if you want. To have a mic situation, you know, mic on your body while you're shooting drone shots or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but I can see all sorts of uses for something like this. Uh, I was hoping to see it be smaller. I think that's why the black one is probably selling more because it's a little bit less visible than the big old white one. <laughs> I mean, they're both the same size, don't get me wrong. But I think white is probably going to be harder to hide on somebody's person than the black one. But and yes, they're they're bigger than you would like, but at the same time, they they probably have a lot of great functionality. Yeah, there are two models that are are basically in this Indiegogo campaign. One is a 129 waterproof version, which is the the pro GoPro esque like extreme sports style unit, and then the other one is just a plain Jane unit for ninety nine dollars. The price is very nice for these, and. I, I guess for something like that, I've never really thought about making high-end home movies of, of kids or anything. You know, I, I don't have any children, so that's never, like, struck me as a thing to do. But I suppose for something like that, you're right. This could be, like, an easy, affordable way for someone to break into wireless audio without having to invest a bunch of money and still be in that range where you could film your children with, like, a point-and-shoot camera or something like that. Um, for me, personally... I, I don't know. I would almost what? say spend a little bit extra money and get a 
a VA, uh, VHF transmitter or a uh, UHF transmitter. Uh, some of the real small ones like the Airplane Micro from, I believe that is a Zoom product. Uh, that guy is in the 269 range and it's a full-fledged wireless system on the UHF frequency. And then you're recording directly to your camera as opposed to, it looks like this utilizes f- your phone for recording. I, it, they picture it with the GoPro. Do you know how that uh, interfaces? Does it actually send audio to the GoPro or is that just to show you that it's extreme and waterproof? There is a connection uh, with the GoPro, which I have not fully understood and spent the time to dive into. Uh, the, the guys from Instamic have been answering a couple of questions over on the Planet 5D blog posts. And uh, for example, they talk about uh, capturing sounds on the ground while you're flying your drone because somebody asked about that specifically. Uh, and they are, it says, um, let us talk to GoPro and add this amazing feature to their app. The person was asking about uh, generating a tone on a car horn. I, or this allowed GoPro apps to trigger all the cameras and mics at once. So there, there is some a connection between the GoPro. What I'm trying to say, stumbling around my words, is that yes, the GoPro in there is an app that the GoPro has, and so they're trying to talk, make those two talk together. So when you have a mic and a GoPro and the GoPro app, you'll be able to trigger them simultaneously. Yeah, that would so actually that, that would be nice if when you loaded your footage into GoPro's little Cineform editor that it would just grab the audio and sync it for you based on some sort of time code that was sent back and forth via Bluetooth between the units. Right. Um, I don't know. Well, you know the, the Go the GoPro is awesome for doing video, right? But it sucks for audio. It doesn't have you know it has a. <laughs> well, stinky little mic. You but... can you can actually make the newer GoPro perform fairly well for audio applications. Um, there's a USB to 3.5 millimeter adapter for the Hero Black 4 edition and uh, uh, previous models. And if you hook that in, the latest model, the 4, is fairly good audio interface. It's good about capturing audio. You can plug a um, Rode VideoMic Pro into it and get fairly decent audio out of it. You can also plug wireless units. But the problem is then you're breaking the case so now right. there's no water seal for the GoPro itself. So then you're getting into that, well, what happens if I get water on it? Is you know, what's the point of an extreme camera if it's not extreme? You know, so I don't know. Wireless would probably be the best. This looks cool though. Um I am interested to find out more about it. I'm probably not gonna spend ninety nine dollars as I own a ton of Micah gear, but uh, go <laughs> check out the Indiegogo page or uh the full write up over at Planet Five D for more info on that. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Another kind of oddball thing that came out this week is actually the Tokina 24 to 70 f2.8 lens. This is a thousand dollar lens, and it seems kind of odd. You know, if you're not familiar with Tokina, one of their uh, claims to fame was the 11 to 16 millimeter f2.8. This was a very wide angle lens for uh, APS-C sensors. Uh, that lens is very popular because it's a very affordable wide angle lens. It's a very good lens. It's sharp. It's got some weird features like the weird click slide ring and that's a pretty common feature for uh, Tokina lenses. This is coming out at a time when we already have the Tamron 24 to 
470 F2A with vibration control, which is image stabilization. And there's even rumors that Canon is going to be releasing a 24 to 70 millimeter F2 image stabilized lens at a thousand dollars that puts it a little bit more expensive than the Tamron 24 to 70 f2.8 which I actually have love and use right here so do you think this lens is relevant as uh, Tokina missed the mark you're asking me Mr. Lens guy <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of 24 to 70 lenses on the market uh, there aren't very many obviously at the f 2.8 range and with the newer lenses coming out from the other manufacturers you just mentioned they may have missed the market but i want to ask you a question seeing as how there's a lot of things that you know that i don't know i notice in the write-up on the digitalpicture.com that you linked to they have a one-touch focus mechanism and I'm, I'm constantly bothered, at least on the Canon lenses, because if you want to switch from AF to manual focus, from autofocus to manual focus, there's a tiny little switch that you have to push. And it's true on many other lenses. But they say that if you simply snap the focus ring forward, then autofocus is on. And if you push it back then it's in manual focus have you ever used that does it work uh yeah it's sort of obnoxious actually is it <laughs> it's uh, for photography it's not too bad and i'm actually gonna show the lens here so that everybody can kind of see this uh, for audio listeners just use your imagination um basically if you think about the barrel of the lens on a tokina lens it's it's got a really nice, beefy focus ring, but in order to use it, you actually pull it back like a, a sort of like you're pumping a shotgun. So it clicks back, and you can see two lines on there. One line says AF, and the other one says uh, MF, and that's how you actually engage the focus ring to manual mode. So it is nice in the fact that you have a big ring to pull back, but the problem is, is you can still engage autofocus with it in that mode so you can grind gears if you're not careful. Um, it's sort of weird, too, because a lot of people will click it over by accident and then forget, and then they're trying to focus, and it, it doesn't work correctly. Right. Whereas with uh, you know your Canon glass or, or even like a, a Tamron glass, you have an actual little switch that it says on and off. This one, it covers up autofocus when you have it in manual focus. So if you're not familiar with the lens, you're like, hey, is this just a manual lens? Like, does it have autofocus? What's, what's right. the deal with that? Um, it does feel really good. And on the 11 to 16, when you click that over, it's a very satisfying click and ka-chunk to get it into that mode. And the ring's really heavy and thick, but uh, not my thing. I was always kind of complaining about that feature on Tokina lenses. Does it? I mean, does that sound better to you than the Switch itself? Do you like the idea of sort of chucking your lens back like that? Uh, I was looking for some other way of realizing that a lens is in manual focus versus autofocus because i mean periodically i switch right and i think everybody maybe switches periodically and f hunting for it if you're doing something trying to do it quickly to flip that switch on a canon lens is a pain in the butt kiss i mean maybe people that do it all the time get more used to it but i can never find it when i want it so i was just thinking when i was reading the story that if i could just pull the lens in or push the lens out quickly, 
it would be easier to do quickly. But I can see your point being that many people would forget and not remember how to switch it back and forth and stuff like that. So it was just, I was just curious to see how well it worked. And I knew you would know the answer because I'm sure you've used every lens on the market. Um, I've used a lot of them. Um, <laughs> now, one thing I did run into, uh, and I worked with this guy on a couple shoots, and I don't want to, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to pull his card or anything, but it, every time I put a lens on a camera, he would immediately go over and switch it to manual. And he, because I was used to working with the AF as a pre-trigger, it actually ruined a couple of shots until I figured out what the hell was going on. And I'm like, what are you doing? And it, every time, like, I would set up a camera, get it ready to go, and then he would walk over and click the switch. And then I was in the boat that you're talking about where I'm like, okay, well, wait wait a minute. Why isn't this focusing? What's going on right. here? And and it that was his thing. Like, every, every lens, as soon as you put it on a camera body, he shot in manual focus only. He believed that AF was the worst thing in the world and that you should only ever use <laughs> manual focus. And we had a long talk, and I was in charge, so I just told him to do it this way, and it was yeah. it was done. But it was just kind of weird, and it messed me up. And then I actually had to go find the switches on all these lenses because he'd gone through my bag and started clicking them all over to manual focus. He's like, so I was just getting them ready for you so that they're ready to go when we start shooting. I'm like, you <laughs> messing me up. And so, yeah, and then with this uh -huh. one... You hand this over to somebody, and they're like, uh, how do I get it into autofocus? Because this is, Tokina is literally the only brand that I know of that has that sort of auto manual transfer clickover system. So if you've only used Canon lenses or other branded lenses, and you've never used a Tokina lens, you're going to be confused by this guy in general until you get used to that whole click ring thing. And it's something you almost have to like show somebody right out of the gate so that they know what they're doing. If you hand someone the lens and say, put it on the camera and go, if it's in manual they may not be able to figure out that you push the thing forward because it's a fairly you know solid clicking mechanism uh, right just a just a weird in general design i don't like it but a lot of people love it so you know take it or leave it whatever you want now rolling on down the line here we've got an audio interface uh we've talked about the road link and that was a Wi-Fi frequency enabled audio transmitter. We also talked about the Instamic, which is a wireless microphone system. This is a little pricier, kind of sits above the Rode Link. It's uh, the Audio-Technica System 10, a Wi-Fi wireless system. Uh, basically, this is doing the exact same thing as you get out of the Rode Link. Price is a little bit higher. This is about $50 more. It does have a cute, super thin, lav mic and Cute. it looks like it's built pretty solidly you've been messing around with the road link first i kind of want to get your impressions on the road link and then looking at the specs for this and the design do you think this is an improvement over the road link or do you think they're kind of in the same ballpark is it worth 50 extra dollars well now you're putting take that for grain of salt video because there's a lot of awesome information in there they do a really good job okay i am a b and h affiliate too so i maybe as am i as am i so <laughs> the, we're both the, very happy to be b and h affiliates the 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 video is really well done though uh interesting points that i saw in the video uh 
that I think are distinctly different than the road link. Number one, the um, Audio-Technica has a, a, a headphone jack. My brain is just not engaged right today. I'm sorry. So it has a headphone jack that the road link doesn't have. Now, the caveat there is that you're getting the audio on the receiver and it's not exactly what you're getting in the camera, but that's a situation. So, you know, what's actually being recorded on the camera could be very different. You could be peaking and everything else, but it, it at least has a headphone jack. If you don't have any headphone jack on your camera, you could at least get an idea that the audio coming in is okay. Right. Yeah. It there with that big caveat that that's not your final audio it's just the difference between the Roadlink and the Audio-Technica. The other thing that, that I think was pointed out in the B&H is that the Audio-Technica will only work one at a time. If you buy multiple transmitters, then it, it, at least this is the impression that I got from the B&H video was that you can't do multiples because they specifically talked about, so you're using it maybe on stage and you have multiple presenters. We have to turn presenter A's off before presenter B's works. And with the road link system, you can have multiple transmitters working with one receiver at the same time. And so I'm not totally convinced that those are totally different yet. I didn't dive in because I just watched the video just before the show. So that concerned me, and maybe somebody knows the right answer, but just be careful of that particular issue if that's important to you. So the way I understood it going through the Audio-Technica System 10 was that basically you could bond it with up to eight units, I believe, and then whichever one was on was the one that would automatically link to it. So you turned one transmitter off and the next one as soon as it comes on will link automatically with the receiver um does the road uh man i'm now i'm doing it does the road link the road link yes does the road link allow multiple audio sources to come in simultaneously and that's what i don't know i mean i and i apologize because i don't have multiple road link transmitters to be able to test but to me as a filmmaker I would want to be able to have that as an option because let's say I'm doing a two-person interview. I want both transmitters to work at the same time, right? I want to be able to get both sources of audio. And again, I haven't actually tested that. So I'm I'm assuming that's the way it works, but maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe you need to have two receivers, in which case you're screwed. Yeah, I I don't know on the road link yet. Um, I would like to look into that a little bit more. So that's something that we can pay, maybe table for another podcast. But as far as the Audio-Technica system goes, I do like the four-pin barrel connectors that they use on Audio-Technica systems because it's like a slide lock clip sort of thing. Um, a lot of the other lav mic systems are just a, a mic plugging in directly. The clip system is nice. This also has frequency diversity, time-space diversity as well. So that means that it can hop frequencies in the 2.4 gigahertz range up and down. It uses multiple time slots when it's sending audio out to check and recheck the audio. And then it also has double antennas and at both units so that it can change from one antenna to the other depending on which side of the unit you're walking on i 
don't see external antennas on the road link, so I'm not sure how the antenna system is set up, and there are ways to put two antennas in there, so that it could be pretty much identical. It looks like a lot of these Wi-Fi units are working off of the same chipset that uh, became available about eight months ago, nine months ago, that we were seeing in sort of um, off-brand uh, Korean models and so on. Now... Uh, we're seeing that sort of working in more uh, robust, uh, more developed companies that make this sort of thing. So I think they're all going to probably be on the same level, and it's just going to be dependent on what you get as far as microphones go and so on. So take a listen to the, watch the B&H video. It's pretty interesting. Uh, go look at the road link. I think either one of them will probably fit the bill. I don't know which one's better. I want to test them and find out, but that's for another day. Now, moving on down the line, before we get out of here, here because uh, I'm running a little short on time, I've got okay. this wacky guy right here. This is the Z camera. <laughs> I don't know what the heck is going on here, but uh, if you can read Japanese, you can click on the link in the show notes and find out. Basically, what this appears to be, and just because I'm, I'm translating this from a bunch of pictures that show sort of a bit of information, this looks like a sort of a Blackmagic Micro Studio designed Micro Four Thirds camera. It's um, a plain Jane version of that. It's just a square box with a 60 megapixel Micro Four Thirds sensor. It has AF, and it's designed basically only to work remotely. So it's a sensor in a tiny box with an adapter for Micro Four Thirds lenses, and that's it. Uh, it's uh, completely in Japanese, so as far as tech specs, pricing, everything else, I can't tell you anything about this guy other than... It's coming out at some point, and it looks really interesting in a weird sort of like action cam, possibly uh, used for uh, drones or something like that sort of way. Uh, Mitch, what do you think about this guy? Wait, you don't remember because it was so long ago and you moved, but uh, and I was just looking around the room because it's in a pile of paper somewhere. But I actually talked to those guys at NAB. Oh, nice. They were in the very start. You remember when we were talking about the, um, God, names are not working today, the Logger's Lunchbox. Yes. They, that, that crew was in the booth right behind them. And the guys at Logger's Lunchbox said, hey, you got to go check that camera out because it's really awesome. And this was, of course, just right after the Black Magic announcement had come out. But it's... It's awesome. And the guys were like really excited about it. And the video they were showing on their, their monitor was really awesome. And they were going to send me a unit. And I got to dig out their business card because I haven't gotten one yet. They were going to go through a Kickstarter thing, uh, but they were going to send me one. And it looked, like you said, it looks really awesome. The video on their monitors looked really awesome. And I, I, think this is something that people are going to so i i I held up the flyer to you when i just got back from nab so you were back in one of the old podcasts i actually had the flyer for that nice but of course you don't remember that but it's it's something we need to keep an eye on because i think it was it was like was the price 649 or something yeah it was something really reasonable now that you mention it i'm kind of like regaling my memory but uh man i because because get the so black many... magic is is a thousand bucks. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, this I think it's was... isn't the studio twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, what? 
it's a thousand dollars or more. I don't, yeah. you know, they came out with so many private products at NAB, but this looks to be an awesome thing. It's, it's not, and black magic has a reputation of not delivering on time. Well, these guys haven't even started their Kickstarter yet. So it may be a lot farther out than even black magic, but the pricing was awesome and it looked pretty dang cool. I really like the idea of a utilitarian box that just plugs in and you hook it onto stuff and then you go. It kind of is the dream of a GoPro with a micro four thirds lens mount. Um, right. It, it's cool. I like the idea. And when this came up, uh, um, one of my news feeds, I saw it again and I was like, Ooh, th that looks sweet. And then, you know, I forgot we'd even talked about this. That yep. was so many moons ago. Um, I get busy, man, this <laughs> though, go check it out. It's called the Z cam. Um, it's, uh, it, there's links in the show notes to the Japanese site. Um, maybe you can find something that's, uh, translated, uh, Mitch, if you find the literature or if you got an email on it, you know, shoot me a, a line. I'd love to hear more about this camera. I don't know what sensor it's using. Um, 16 megapixel sort of sounds familiar to every other 16 megapixel micro four thirds <laughs> sensor on the market. So this could be a uh, GH4 style sensor stuck into a blank box. The only thing I would say, if it is in the $600 price range, uh, now that we have stuff like the G7 from Panasonic, does that mean that the price on this should be much lower than that? You know, maybe $400 or $500? Because that's a full-fledged camera system with a screen and, you know, everything. And right. uh, this is a box with a sensor. So where's the price drop, you know? Uh, and I don't know the actual pricing on this, but uh, just uh, kind of going with the $600 mark, it, it would seem that that was putting it pretty close to some of the lower priced Micro Four Thirds 4K shooting cameras that are out there on the market. Right. If And if I remember correctly, wasn't the Black Magic a smaller sensor than a Micro Four Thirds? Wasn't it? Uh, like no, I believe it is a Micro Four Thirds. Uh, well, it's a Micro Four Thirds adapter. You actually might be right on the sensor size. I'm correcting myself as I correct you. Sorry. Um, That's okay. So I, it's hard to remember all this stuff, DJ. Believe me. I, yeah, you know, um, for those of you not familiar with the time frame here, uh, Mitch and I are a few hours apart. So I do Mitch's cast sometimes when I have to go to work early uh, at like 5.30 in the morning. So my brain, no start good. Not to work yeah, okay. Amen. But um, yeah, so check this out. It looks pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about it. I kind of want to mess around with it. Um, I'm, I like in general the idea of just strapping a micro furthered sensor to the back of a lens. That's why I was really excited about the Air from Olympus and some of the other adapter type stuff like that. So hopefully this is a good product. Hopefully it comes out. Hopefully we see something more from the Z camera. Um, they do have an official announcement on it. So I wonder if they're skipping the Kickstarter process and going straight to the public. Uh, we'll have to cool. wait and see on this camera. Mitch, do you have anything to add on this guy before we get out of here no let's get out of here all right guys we're cutting the show short today because we've got a production meeting this morning so i am out skis but mitch where can people find you on the internet planet5d.com planet5d thanks dj it's great talking to you no problem you can find this podcast on itunes on soundcloud and anywhere else podcasts are distributed it's also on youtube so check that out if you want to watch the video version we will talk to you again next week on another exciting episode of dslr film noob podcast <laughs>